0: Today, we have two seemingly opposite stories—an entering and a staying put. On Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus finally leaving the wilderness and entering into the holy city of Jerusalem, with shouts of Hosanna and palms waving. On this Sunday, we also hear the story of Moses. guided his people through the wilderness, but who's unable to enter into the promised land. But maybe these stories are more alike than we initially imagine. For the holy city of Jerusalem is a wilderness of its own, with dangers not found in the desert. And both these holy men have to settle with the reality of loss of grief and pain, and yet they choose joy. Moses and Jesus both, knowing the harsh reality of what lies ahead, they both choose to celebrate anyway.
1: A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended hear what the spirit is saying to the church amen Amen.
0: would you please pray with me lord may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight for you O god are our rock and you are our redeemer amen so while pastor seth was made for this weird time in our world in which we find ourselves. With his knowledge from all the Cormac McCarthy books, with his love of processed food and disinclination to go outdoors, I must confess, I was not. And now that we are here, I find myself a little negligent for having wasted five years where I could have been taking notes and being a good little Padawan, collecting my own array of leather jackets and dystopian paperbacks. But honestly, that's just not me. As a young child, I would regularly run up to strangers, offering them hugs, which my mother would repeatedly warn me against. And as an adult, only social conditioning has prevented me from doing the same. Obviously, in this time, my natural instinct for physical connection is met with shock and horror. Now rightly so, but going in for a hug, we're met with glances as if you confessed you were a Cardinals fan or you loved the Packers. Stopping by a friend's house this past week to drop something off, muscle memory took over and my body pre-programmed to show affection, I did it. I went in for the hug, only halfway realizing the taboo and unsafe nature of my actions. I stopped abruptly, and I looked like some strange bird with my wings outstretched, ready to take flight. I tried to turn it into a stretch, but mostly I felt silly. I could hear my mother's voice. Kendra, keep your hands to yourself. I'm sure you have felt the acuteness of this time in your own way. Your feelings shifting, evolving, changing. Day to day, hour by hour, news update by news update. It's a roller coaster ride. One moment we are laughing at the joy of neighborhood children, and the next we've pulled our blankets over our heads and are quietly crying. I confess I found myself waffling in between these two states and it's a 50-50 toss-up if I blame the coronavirus or just pregnancy hormones. (laughs) Last weekend, our little creek that runs outside of our house, we had a visitor who was not so little. After the torrential rains of last Friday, A beaver had found his way to the bank right by our back deck. Looking out one morning, I spotted all 50 pounds of him soaking wet and unmoving, and we tentatively went out to check on him, but he was unmoved, his eyes barely opening. We thought, well, maybe he just needs a little bit of rest. Possibly his home was flooded. But as the day progressed, and he didn't move at all, I began to worry. And so I called the Willowbrook Animal Rehabilitation Center. And they told us that they don't pick up animals, but that we could try to get him into some sort of box or container and bring him in. But they said realistically, the chances are they'd put him to sleep. There wasn't much that they could do for beavers. My husband Dan and I debated. If he was dying would we really want his last minutes to be ones where he was scared stuffed in some plastic bin and driven to an unfamiliar place so we left him and when that decision was made i started to sob not drunk gentle trickles of tears but body racking snot dripping tears i know I'm projecting, I said between gasps, but everything is dying. (laughs) The next morning, though, we woke up and the beaver was gone. He is not here, my husband Dan whispered. He is risen. (laughs) Just so happens maybe what he really did need was a nap. It's strange to think where we were last Palm Sunday. As ministers and members of our church, Carol Montgomery Fate and Sally Miller joined leading worship in an all-female ministry team, we gathered and we went outside into the sunny morning. Little ones in choir robes among the tulips and daffodils blooming, our bells were ringing us forward. Tom Pulver was in his bow tie, And he and Maggie Fredericks led us, carrying our Palm Standard around the building in our procession. We worshipped, focusing on Palm Sunday as a day of protest in opposition to the Roman Empire, a political statement as much as a religious one. And while this is still true, I cannot help but find different wisdom coming from the scripture this morning. Jerusalem is a holy land where the temple, God's literal residence on earth, stood. And Jewish pilgrims would come from all over what is now the Middle East to worship in that sacred space. Jerusalem then, as now, was also a hotbed of political and religious tension. It too was a wilderness where we would see Jesus overturn temples and engage in conflict with the religious elite. Calling out people in power rarely works out well. Jesus was parading into this holy and complicated city on Palm Sunday all those years ago. And Jesus's people were parading waving their palm branches high with shouts of hosanna. But at the same time, too, the Roman Empire was marching into the city, waving their weapons of violence, providing added military support in case of any political or religious rebellion that might emerge during the time of Passover. See, during Passover, the amount of Jewish pilgrims into the city of Jerusalem exponentially increased for these high holy days. This is the context in which the people in Jerusalem find themselves. In the midst of this world, in the midst of living in a military occupied state, where things seemingly were reaching a fever pitch the people of Jerusalem chose not to live in fear. Instead, they were inspired by hope, that radically transformative force in our world. They were excited and overjoyed that they grabbed what they had on hand. I can imagine the buzz about town. He's coming, he's coming, whispers being shouted from house to house some ancient game of telephone those gathered that palm sunday all those years ago they didn't wait for it to be perfect they didn't have time to make a banner or a yard sign they didn't have time to prepare a feast or clean the house or even take a shower themselves. I can imagine folks talking amongst one another. What should we grab? How do we welcome? How do we celebrate? And I can hear the reply. Take what we have. Take the limbs off the trees and the coats from our closets, came the cry. And let us celebrate that Jesus is coming. Even as the Roman Empire is taking over the city, Even as we find ourselves in these tense times, the people of Jerusalem here are our teachers. For in the midst of a world in chaos, they chose to celebrate anyway, holding on to the power of their hope, taking what they had, the everyday things around them, and transforming them into a celebration. Two Fridays ago, love was chosen as vows were made, and I spoke the words of a marriage liturgy. A small, intimate group of family gathered outdoors by a lake on a cold, gray spring day. We gathered to celebrate the ways which, in the face of fear, we choose love. In the face of a world in chaos, we choose the only thing that makes sense, love. As Susan Walborn, who grew up in this church, and her partner Reese, made promises to one another, in sickness and in health, to keep choosing love. In the face of the unknown, in the face of the joy, but also the hard times ahead, They chose love. And while we weren't waving palm branches, it felt like a Palm Sunday moment. We could have shouted out with joy, Hosanna, God save us. God save us from forgetting what is truly important. What happened was holy and it was good. It happened as a train whistled by and geese flew overhead. It wasn't the big party that was imagined, a sassy white suit replacing a gorgeous dress, but wrapped in her grandmother's red cape, the love of the few people gathered and those who joined remotely, and the cloud of saints from heaven smiling down, the bride chose to celebrate anyway. And so did we all, with tears in our eyes. Hosanna. As Moses sat on the mountaintop, knowing that his end was near, and while he could see the promised land, the future of freedom after oppression, abundance after so much scarcity, he was unable to walk the path with them. But I can imagine that on that mountaintop, even in his grief of not being able to walk the road with those that he loved, I can imagine that Moses, in all his vigor, rejoiced in the end. This passage tells us of the Israelites' grief. Grief, a manifestation of love, a celebration of the life that Moses lived. Even if we don't know for sure how the story ends, even if we don't get to see that end or enter into the promised land or experience what is next, we, too, can choose to celebrate. This week, a friend sent a photograph of a little baby bundled in the pink and blue hospital blanket, a tiny hat covering his coned head face still red from the hard work of coming into this world. My friend's brother and his wife welcomed their son, and there were tears and there was some grief that they have no idea what lies ahead for this little one, to be born at such a time as this. But there was also so much joy in the hope of the promised land that lay before him, his life unfolding and unwritten. And these new parents and those that love them, we chose to celebrate anyway. This week, I pray that there have been moments when you have chosen to celebrate anyway. And I've seen it. I've seen it as you've planted your summer seeds into the dark, rich soil of the earth you were choosing to celebrate anyway. As you created art with your little ones and went to beaches in your backyards, as you cooked food and gathered at the table, as you baked cakes and chatted at appropriate distances from your neighbors, as you made fires and read books and soaked up the sun, as you made and listened to music, and had story time with your grandchildren, you were choosing to celebrate anyway. As the people in Jerusalem were called to celebrate the ways that Jesus comes riding into our lives, bringing the radical revolutionary message of hope and love, not when things are perfect or in place, but especially when they are messy and complicated when we are scared and unsure, when the only things that we can grab for our celebration are the limbs from our trees and the coats from our closets, our sidewalk chalk and construction paper. Jesus triumphantly enters into our lives, and we are called to celebrate anyway. So today, maybe in ways that are tiny, and quiet and maybe in ways that are big and loud let us dare to celebrate even now because we know what this holy week holds and we know in part at least what the week ahead holds for our world but we don't celebrate in denial ostriches with our heads in the sand, pretending that everything will be normal again by Easter. We don't deny the real pain and suffering that is happening, but maybe we choose to mold Pastor Seth and myself creating some doomsday Pollyanna, and we can see the world in all its uncomfortable and scary reality And we also intentionally look for Jesus' movement into this space. And we, as people of faith, choose to celebrate anyway. Because we know what's coming next. And at the same time, we don't. And yet we choose to celebrate. Amen.